Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our discipleship pastor, Adam Scott. Good morning, everybody. So glad that you're here celebrating this important weekend with us today. We're jumping into the message a little bit early because we're going to have some more worship here at the end. And I'm telling you what, it is going to be a powerful time that's going to take you closer to Jesus. And we're excited about that. Hey, listen, this is a holiday weekend, and this is a time that we set aside as a country um, to remember the high cost of freedom. This is, this is when we thank all of those who have given the ultimate sacrifice. We pause and we honor them. You know, I've, I've heard it said before that only two defining forces have ever offered to die for you, and that's Jesus Christ and the American soldier. John chapter 15, verse 13, you saw it in the video, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Hey, let's, let's have a moment where we just thank those that have provided for our freedom by sacrificing their life in this country. It's so important to remember sacrifice. It's so important to pause and reflect so that we never take freedom for granted. That's something that we prioritize as a nation, but it's something that takes on even more meaning when we apply it to Jesus Christ right here in the church. You see, every single Sunday, we come together in this place so that we can pause and celebrate and remember all that Jesus has done for us, the freedom that he provides, not from an oppressive government, but from the powers of sin and hell. Specifically as a church, each and every week we come together and we take communion together so that we can pause to reflect on Christ's body that was given for us, his blood that was spilled for us, and we just simply say, thank you, Jesus. Listen, this meal is incredibly simple. This communion meal is it's just two elements. It's a very simple thing, but to be honest with you, it has caused more division and more fights in the church than just about any other issue. So let me give you some examples. We can't even agree on what to call it. Some people call it communion. Some call it Lord's Supper. Some call it the Eucharist. We can't agree on how to take it. Some people insist on using wine. Some insist on grape juice. Some only take it when it's Welch's grape juice because they're that particular. We can't agree on the frequency. You see, some churches like ours, we take it weekly. Some take it monthly, quarterly, yearly, or even more sporadically than that. We can't even agree on the meaning of communion. You see, some people believe that this is a sacrament that embodies the physical characteristics of Jesus Christ when we pray over it. And and some insist that this is a metaphor, something that we're supposed to focus on that illustrates God's love for us. Listen, the list goes on and on and on. And quite honestly, if, if you grew up in church, but you're pretty new to Northridge, the first thing you've noticed about us is probably the way we took communion because it was different from the way you grew up taking communion. And that was before COVID required us to use these Lunchable communions with (laughs) tiny Jesus crackers of cardboard, okay? It gets weirder and weirder as time goes on. But today we're gonna spend some time and we're gonna get some clarity on this idea of communion. We're gonna learn what it is and why we take it so that together as a church body, we can take it fully understanding what it is that we're doing in that moment. Before we get there, let me ask you, how many of you have a minivan? Anybody? 
Raise your hand if you got a minivan. Don't be ashamed. You don't have to be ashamed. This is the only time you're ever gonna raise your hand proud of the fact that you own a minivan, okay? My hand is up, I have a minivan. I'll show you a picture of it. That's not the actual van that I have because I took a picture of ours and it was too dirty to put up here on the screen. So this is what it looked like once upon a time. You may not have ever associated the minivan with communion, but you should. And, and that's not just because it's full of juice and crackers, because every minivan is full of juice and crackers. But there was four specific things about the minivan that caused me to bring it into our conversation about communion. You see, four different things that it offers. The first is a rear view mirror. A rear view mirror that allows you to look back and celebrate the faces of those people that are reading your bumper sticker about your kid that's an honor student in third grade. It's also got a front windshield that keeps you focused on your destination. It'll get you to and from practice and all the other places that you're going. It has something that most cars don't have. It has a conversation mirror that comes down so that you can watch internally inside the vehicle and you'll actually know who's hiding gum in your youngest child's hair. And last of all, it has large spit-stained windows all the way around so that at any given moment while you're on the road, you can look out and see what all the cool people are driving during that moment. See, this one vehicle, it allows four unique perspectives. And that's what communion does. It's one vehicle, but it creates this fully immersive experience and that it allows us to look in four different directions all at the same time. Here's my sermon in a sentence, and I phrased it in a way that I hope you're gonna remember this um, on a regular basis. Communion is the minivan of the Christian experience. Communion is the minivan of the Christian experience, only way cooler. Go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna unpack each four of those perspectives, looking forward, looking backward, looking inward, looking outward. We're gonna unpack those together and, and then we're gonna take a few moments to enjoy communion together as a body of believers. Then we're gonna send you out so that every time you hop in, drive past, or consider buying a minivan, you will remember how important communion is. Let's look at the first perspective. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 25. In this passage, Paul says this, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. You see, the first perspective of communion uh, matches the perspective of the rear view mirror in the van. And it's simply this communion encourages us to look backward. You see, it causes us to, to do something in remembrance of all that Jesus has done for us. We look back grateful for his presence on the cross. So you may not know this, but the communion meal was actually established within the context of Passover. You see, Jesus was taking Passover with his disciples and it was there that he initiated this idea of communion. And, and Passover was something that the Jewish community had celebrated once a year. Every single year, they would gather together in family groups. And for 15 centuries, they had made this a priority. During that meal, one of the children would be assigned to ask, what makes this day different than all the other days? And at that point, the host would explain many of the elements that were on the table and how they reminded them of, of God's deliverance from slavery in Egypt. 
You see, the host would, would take the bitter herbs and he would hold them up and he would say, this represents the bitterness of slavery. He would take the salt water and he would say, this represents the tears of those that were in bondage. He would take the unleavened bread and he would say, this represents how quickly the people left Egypt. And he would take the four wine cups that represented the four biblical promises of redemption. You see, this meal, it was, it was full of symbolism and storytelling and gratitude. And listen, that's the backdrop for Jesus establishing this communion time. You see, he simplifies the elements. See, as the one who, who is the fulfillment of all of Israel's hope and history, he simplifies the elements down to two things, but he says the purpose remains the same. You're to take these and look back on all that God has done for you, all that's happened to purchase your freedom. Let me tell you, I live by my calendar. Anybody else like me? Okay, specifically, I don't live by calendar on my wall. I live by calendar on my phone that I can wear on my wrist that will alert me when it's time to get up and go to the different places that I'm supposed to go. You see, if it's not for that, I don't make it anywhere. My wife doesn't like that kind of stuff. She uses an online calendar now because it's the only way I'm ever gonna show up for anything. But see, the other day, I was out on my, on my lawnmower and I'm cutting the grass. I've got my headphones in. All of a sudden, the phone rang and I answered it and somebody said, hey, weren't we supposed to meet today? And I looked down and of course I had a reminder that went off that I had missed. You see, we have more technology, more resources at our disposal to help us remember all the many things that are going on in our lives, but we still forget sometimes. Jesus recognized this. He knew this was gonna be a struggle for us and that's why he initiated a regular visual reminder that keeps us focused on the life-changing reality of what he did for us. You see, Jesus memorializes his death. Not his life, not his miracles, not even his teaching. He memorializes his death. And he says, through these two elements, look back and remember what I've done for you. You see, Jesus' primary purpose in coming to earth was to die for the sins of the world. And this meal reminds us of that sacrifice. The first thing communion encourages us to do is to look back on what Jesus has done. You see, but it doesn't stop in the past. The second perspective comes from the very next verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. It says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, the second perspective matches that of the windshield on the van. Communion encourages us to look forward, to see and embrace and celebrate all that is up ahead that Jesus is in fact returning again, that what he started on the cross will in fact be finished in eternity. It reminds us that our final chapter has already been written. It reminds us that because of his gift, we can look forward to spending eternity with him. Communion is not just a celebration of things past, it's a celebration of all the things to come. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 22, verses 15 through 16. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Let me tell you something. I've had some incredible communion experiences in my life. You see, I remember when I got baptized um, and, and I had an opportunity to take my very first communion. I can still remember it because the preacher gave us glass communion cups, which we don't have for you today. Give me till next week. I'll bring you a mason jar or something. But, 
but it was a, a glass communion cup that we could take home. And I took communion from the privacy of my bedroom multiple times because of that. That was an incredible communion experience for me. You see, since that time, I've had the opportunity to, to take communion with people that have just surrendered their life to Jesus, that have just been baptized into him and are, are experiencing communion for the very first time. I can remember taking communion with a group of student leaders. I forgot to take communion with us, so we had it with grape soda and goldfish crackers because that was the best thing we had available. I've taken communion to people that are on the way to leaving this earth, that are in a hospital bed and not doing very well. We've taken that moment as a special moment together. I've personally taken communion when I'm empty and when I'm broken, and I've also taken communion on days when I am overwhelmed and fully aware of God's presence in my life. But let me tell you something. My greatest communion experiences in this life will never compare to the one that's waiting for me in eternity. You see, there's coming a day where I'm gonna sit in the presence of Jesus and he's gonna tear the bread and he's gonna pour the juice and from his own nail-pierced hands, I'm gonna take those elements and with tears in my eyes, I'm gonna mouth the words, thank you, Jesus. Every time we take communion, we're looking forward to that moment. See, I don't know if you ever did this when you were a kid, but my kids like to make these little paper chains. And you know what these chains represent, right? Every one you tear off, you're one day closer to Christmas. You're one day closer to gifts. You're one day closer to the celebration. Well, communion acts just like this chain. You see, it's something that every time we take it, we can tear one off and say, I'm closer to heaven than I've ever been before. I'm closer to sitting in the presence of Jesus and experiencing this in a whole new and exciting way. Every communion we take is a link that gets us closer to that day. It reminds us that no matter what this world throws at us, it can never throw off what Jesus has set in motion. We take this communion meal, let me tell you, we are yearning for eternity and we are yearning for more of Christ's presence in our life. And we're proclaiming with confidence that we believe a day is coming where we will sit in his presence and thank him for the sacrifice that he's made. Communion encourages us to look forward. The third perspective comes from the next few verses. This is what it said in verses 27 through 30. So then whoever eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why so many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Listen, this perspective matches the conversation mirror. The communion encourages us to look inward. You see, this is by far the most introspective moment in our service. It encourages us, it demands that we reflect on our relationship with God and answer these questions. Am I living for him or Am I resisting his presence in my life? Am I giving him my best or am I just giving him what's left? Do others see him when they look at me or does my life point to something else? Am I really focused on and grateful for the gift of salvation? Let me tell you something. Paul explains in this passage, he says that many people didn't do this. They took communion in an irreverent way, in a casual way without focusing on what it means it says, many people have fallen asleep and died. Many have gotten sick. I'm sorry to tell you, I don't know what to do with that. That doesn't make any sense to me. 
I don't understand it, but I will say this. It declares our need to take this moment seriously and embrace it for the powerful moment, the relationship with Jesus that it creates for us each and every week. Listen, a, a couple weeks ago, I was changing a light bulb. It's one of those little spirally light bulbs and I had my hand up in the fan like trying to twist it off without taking the whole thing apart. And all of a sudden, as I was twisting that thing, I couldn't get it apart. And all of a sudden, that light bulb shattered in my hand, okay? Cut me all over the place. Now, I have been told that the story gets more dramatic every single time I tell the story. But I was bleeding out right there in the living room floor. I was borderline death. My wife is asleep on the couch. She woke up. She said, are you okay? I said, no, I think I'm about to be gone. And she said, okay, and went back to sleep. Now, listen, Since that time, I've changed the light bulb two times, and I want you to know I have done so with more intentionality and care than I have ever used to change a light bulb before, okay? I had one bad experience, and it convinced me to be extra careful for the rest of my life. Listen, I don't know if God's reaction to believers taking communion without introspection and reverence was a one-time thing or not. I don't know if the same rules apply. I don't know if my half-hearted participation would ever result in sickness or death. But even though I don't think a light bulb will ever shatter in my hand again, I'm still gonna be careful about the way I hold it so that I eliminate the risk. And get this, I'm still gonna take communion in the way God desires. See, there's something powerful, something sacred about this moment, and it demands all of our attention. Let me tell you what this passage is not saying. This passage is not saying that sin disqualifies you from taking communion. You see, if we could ever reach a point of sinlessness, then we don't need God's grace through Jesus. We wouldn't need this communion meal. It's impossible. We are never going to be living perfect lives. We are always gonna be at his mercy. I would go so far as to say that if you believe that you are worthy to take this meal and stand in God's presence because of your own behavior, then your heart is not right with God. This moment is not about sinless perfection, but it is about being prepared and making it an important moment in your day, in your week, in your life. Listen, I grew up in a tradition that took communion about four times a year, sometimes more, sometimes less. And and let me just tell you, there's no biblical mandate on how often you take it. There's not a manual that says you have to take it every single week. We look into the Bible, we see that the early Christians took it every single week, and that's why we choose to take it every single week. But it's not wrong for anybody else to take it at a different level of frequency. But when I left that tradition and I stepped into a tradition like ours that took it every single week, I was worried. I was worried because I thought the frequency would cause it to just become something that was mundane and something that was normal, something that I overlooked because it didn't carry any significance. But I found the exact opposite to be true. You see, in my personal experience, knowing that we're gonna have this moment together every single week challenges me to put more emphasis, value on it than ever before. This is a powerful moment. We've got to be careful when we approach the sanctity of the Lord's Supper that we are doing it with the right heart and for the right reasons. Communion encourages us to look inward. The fourth and final perspective, it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 33 through 34. It says this, it says, so then my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. 
The fourth and final perspective matches that of the spit-stained windows on the minivan. Communion encourages us to look outward. It encourages us to look up and look around and recognize that we are participating in this special time as a community of believers. You see, we proclaim the Lord's death together. We look forward to eternity together. We examine our hearts together. Jesus Christ, the Jewish rabbi, he brought us together, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, based on the one thing we have in common, and that's the fact that our hope and trust is in Jesus and Jesus alone. You see, we are a community that believes in, cries out to, and trusts in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, this may be the most important part of the message for some of us here today because we're living in a world that's more divided than we have ever been before. We're divided by race. You know that. It's come up over and over and over again, and it breaks my heart. It breaks Jesus' heart. We're not supposed to be separated by something superficial like that. We're supposed to come together based on what we have in common. You see, a lot of people will tell you, well, that's a Republican issue, or that's a Democrat issue. That's a Satan issue because he has his hand in our world. We're divided based on race. We're divided based on politics. We're divided based on age and gender. Let me tell you something about this community, okay? I love this community. This is my home. I hope God leaves me planted here for the rest of my life. I love Milledgeville, but it didn't take long after getting here to realize that there's something unique about this community. You see, we're not just divided on those things. We're divided by school. And I'm not talking about a rivalry. Every community has rivalries. They have schools that challenge one another. No, we are deeply divided by school in that there is a generational hatred and disdain for people that go to a different place than you do. We've got people that go to GMC. We've got people that go to John Millage. We've got people that go to the public schools and they come to a place where they're together like in our student ministry, but yet they're separated because their identity is in the school that they go to, not the Jesus who they claim is their Lord and Savior. Listen, we've been talking to youth pastors. Colby is starting next week. He's our new student pastor. And we've had to explain to him, listen, this is different and it's important. You're gonna have to come in and you're gonna have to teach students that no matter what they have thought before, they are on the same team because they love Jesus Christ and they're serving him at GMC and they're serving him at John Millage and they're serving him in the public schools and anywhere else they go because their relationship with Jesus is the one that matters. Listen, communion declares that. It's a reminder that what unites us is stronger than what separates us. It's a call to look up at one another and recognize that we are equal in Christ. We are equally bought, we are equally paid for, we are equally loved. Communion encourages us to not just look inward, but to look outward and recognize that we are a community that loves Jesus together. That's communion. See, it's the minivan of the Christian experience. With all that in mind, we're gonna take communion together. See, now that we understand that communion is doing something special, it's giving us four perspectives, it's allowing us to look back and forward and inward and outward, we're gonna take a few moments and we're just gonna say thank you as we take this meal together. What we're gonna do though is, you should have picked up communion on your way in. If you didn't have a chance to do that, that's okay. It's just got big letters on it and all that kind of stuff. We got you. In just a moment, when it gets silent, just lift your hand up in the air and somebody's gonna bring you some communion so that you can take it with us. We don't want to take it without you because you're a part of this community. But maybe during these next few moments as we sit silently, maybe 
Maybe you just need to meditate on something in this sermon that's stuck out to you. Some business that God wants to do in your life. Maybe you're at a point where you need to say, listen, God, I've got something on my heart that I need to confess before I come to you in this way. Before I take this communion meal and thank you for your sacrifice, I need to lay my sacrifice down before you. Maybe there's somebody in this room that you need to go talk to, make right with, so that your heart is in a good place so that you can experience this communion meal. Listen, for just a few moments, we're gonna allow the Holy Spirit to move in the silence. We're not gonna take communion yet. We're just gonna get silent. And in just a few moments, I'm gonna come back up here. We're gonna take communion together as a body. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at northridge.online.